0: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 51 of the Effective Teaching Podcast. I'm your host Dan Jackson and today we're going to be talking all about differentiation. But before I get into the content for today's episode, I wanted to talk to you very briefly about a promotion that I'm doing right now. So during the month of August, I'm running a competition where if you provide a review of the podcast... Now, that obviously can only happen on Apple. So if you're listening to this on an Android device or something, please, instead of reviewing the podcast, or if you can review it on Apple, that'd be great. But if you can't do that, just review Teachers PD on Google or on Facebook. Take a screenshot of that and then either share it on Instagram and tag me. I'm Dan Jackson, sorry, at Dan Jackson, TPD. Or join the Facebook group, the Effective Teaching Podcast. And Share the screenshot there I'm going to be doing two separate prize draws I'm going to be giving away a teacher's PD membership, which is worth $330 now what the membership does is it gives you access to Over 50 hours worth of online professional development that you can access on demand So that's more than 50 hours worth of PD that you can access. It's worth $330 And all you got to do is provide a review. And I don't mind if that's a positive or a negative review. Just review the podcast. Let me know what you're thinking of it at the moment. And then screenshot that and share it either on Instagram, tagging me at TPD, or join the Facebook group Effective Teaching Podcast and share it there. In fact, you can do both of those things and it would double your chances of winning the $330 worth of value in terms of PD but let's get into differentiation so i'll briefly chat to you about some different methods of differentiation and then give you a few examples of how you can use this in your classroom now first up what we tend to think about with differentiation is we tend to think about differentiating the content possibly differentiating the process the product and also the environment and these are classroom elements that you can differentiate now often teachers you know we think Differentiation takes too much time. It's really about making sure that we came to each and every student and it can be really difficult. But I'm here to tell you that it's actually not quite true. Differentiation can be a lot easier than you think it is, provided you plan for it and put it in at the beginning. Now, there are also student elements that you can differentiate. And those are things like finding out where the student is at and then developing them from there, making sure you're linking into their interests and also what their learning preferences are. Now notice I did not say learning style. So to start with, I want you to think about where your student is at. So this is when we're thinking about the skill level of the student. So what prior knowledge do they have maybe? Do they have the skills required for your subject in terms of what you're going to ask them to do during this lesson or throughout a unit? And then but also here when we're talking about where the student's at, it's going to include any uh, forms of disability that they might have if they have hearing impairments or if they need particular colored paper or something that would fall into this as well. Now this is based on a diagnostic assessment or a formative assessment, not just what you expect. Okay, so you need to make sure you've got evidence of where the student is at, not just presuming that you know last year they were in year six, so they must have done year six maths and then they're in year seven. We all know that's not actually what happens, Uh, students come into year seven with multiple different levels of understanding of maths and skills in maths and so we need to find out where they're at so that we then can differentiate based on that. It's also important for you to get to know your students in terms of what interests they have so it's not just about finding out what knowledge they already have but also finding out what they actually are interested in beyond school. So what types of things do they just like? What types of things engage them? Do they play lots of video games? Are they into a particular team or sport? Or maybe they have a particular hobby that you don't know about that you could utilize in your classroom. So by knowing their interests, it actually then allows you to combine their level of understanding and their interest, maybe even in your topic, right? Maybe your topic happens to be something they're really interested in, or maybe your topic is something they absolutely hate. And so you're going to need to really... Combine your topic with something they really like to help engage them and motivate them in what they're doing And so by combining these you want to combine them in the best possible way to stimulate student interest in the learning Which of course will increase their motivation in your class Now the third type of student one is their learning preferences And so here we're just basically working out what kinds of things our students prefer when it comes to their learning So maybe they prefer an environment that is really quiet or maybe they prefer one where there's lots of talking. Right? And so you need to find those types of things out. Maybe they prefer to be outside in the sun compared to being inside in a dark room or something. Uh, you need to look at their preference for how they consume content. Do they prefer to watch videos? Do they prefer to engage in discussion and dialogue? Do they prefer to do readings? Maybe they prefer to listen to books or listen to podcasts. Whatever method of content consumption that they prefer, May also help to increase their engagement in your learning yes, in their learning. You also have to think about their preferences in how they express their knowledge. So it's one thing to think you know they like to watch videos, but they don't like to make videos. They may prefer to write an extended essay or to write a book. Maybe they like to create articles for websites. maybe they like to create the podcast, or maybe they like to be interviewed for their way of expressing knowledge, or maybe they like to create, Uh, applications or tools or physical objects that showcase what they've learnt. So if you can adjust learning to allow that, even better. And the final thing is making sure that you understand how they prefer to actually discuss the content. How do they prefer to get into it? Do they like group situations? Do they not like group situations? They might like to be all on their own, that kind of stuff. So thinking about those things as you plan your lessons can be really helpful and make differentiation a bit easier. We then go to the classroom aspects, right? These are the classroom elements as well that we can differentiate. So often what you do with these is you try and combine the classroom elements and help them to match up with the student elements, okay? So the first is content. And I want you to think of various ways that we can consume content, right? That you can read stuff, you can watch stuff, you can listen to things, You can discuss things with people and discover new content as well. Lots of different ways to do this. So you have to think about that, but you also have to think about the different levels of content. So is this student's reading ability actually at a quite a low level and so you need to give them a different type of text for them to read compared to the student who's at a higher level and making sure you're matching the text or the way that they're consuming the content with actually the level of learning that the student is ready for. And remembering that what a student already knows is the biggest dictator of what they can learn. Okay, The way learning works is you've got to be in that zone of proximal development that's just beyond what the student is capable of, but not so big a challenge that they're going to see it as unattainable. You want it to be sitting in that zone so that it's actually already got things that they already know that they can link it to. And once they can create those connections, it then becomes easier for them to learn and to stick it into their long-term memory. So... Where is your student at? Are they ready for deep learning or are they still in the shallow learning stuff? Can they only handle one item or are they ready to be given multiple items and to be critiquing and uh, making judgments about things using lots of different ideas or items at once as they think or consider uh, what you're asking them to do with their learning? And you can also look at making sure you're linking the content with students' interests. So if a student is interested in baseball, for example, and you're doing statistics in your classroom, connecting those two up for your student will help them to see application, but also to motivate them because you're connecting it to something they already are thinking about and like to do. The next classroom thing is process. So how can you adjust the process of the learning for your students? So here you're talking about adjusting based on where the student is at hitting that zone of proximal development and making sure you're asking them. So it's not just consuming the content, they ask them to do stuff with this content. And so are they ready to apply the content or do they actually need more time focusing in on what the actual content is? So making sure you put in those different hierarchies of learning in there. So you might even think about different amounts of support. So some students might like lots of teacher time, whereas some don't need it. Others might need some sentence starters to get them going on a creative story, whereas others may not. In fact, it might be a hindrance to them trying to create a story. And also some students might like scaffolds or need scaffolds, whereas other students' scaffolds can actually hinder them. So making sure you're providing the right support for the right student. If your student is at the higher order thinking area already, giving them a scaffold is not helpful. But for the student who's struggling, providing that scaffold is really good for them because it helps them to get started, it helps them to decide what they need to put in and where. Now, of course, with the processes, if you can link the process with what the student is actually interested in, that will be beneficial as well. Think about how long the student has to work on this and whether or not you might need to give some students a bit more time to go through and learn the content or to go through and create this thing that you want them to do. or whether they need less time because they're actually all over this and this is actually a skill that they're really good at. Uh, so it might take someone a long time, for example, to edit a video that they wanna make that showcases their learning compared to a student who uh, has great skills in video editing and it will take them a short time. Also, think about creating extension activities that go deeper, and that, but make sure it's not the same thing. And make sure you're not giving them more of the same thing. You know, one of the things that I hated when I was doing maths was that I would go through you know, my teacher would say do these questions and then once you're done let me know and so I would do those questions and then it would just mean that once I was done I did more questions they were the same but what I should have been given is actually things that took that learning to the next level and maybe put them into problem solving or put them into real life uh, interpretations and analysis that made things a bit more difficult for me but where I was actually taking what I'd learnt to the next level. Another way that you can differentiate your classroom environment uh, is when you're looking at the product. Think about what the student is going to produce at the end. Make sure that it either utilizes skills they've already got or that you've given them enough time to develop those skills in terms of what they're going to produce. So my video editing thing is really key there. If the student already has the skills, then the product of creating a video is fantastic. Whereas a student doesn't have those skills, if you force them to make a video you then have to add that time into the learning for them to learn how to do video editing however that student might be really great at writing an essay and so you might let them instead create an essay as a choice of how they express their learning and that's one easy way really to allow students to have voice and choice which helps with differentiating differentiating because you're actually letting the students pick things that they are good at things that link to their already key interests and then you're allowing them to express their learning in whatever way they like. I think that's a fantastic thing to do. Now, another way that you can do this is by using portfolios and actually have students showcase their best pieces of work and they're collecting different types of work or even have that progress portfolio where they can see how they've progressed throughout a term or something in relation to what they're learning. Finally, the environment. When we think about differentiating the environment for our students, we're thinking about how the furniture is all laid out. Maybe you have students who really want to sit at a desk, be looking forward uh, and listening to you talk, or maybe there's others that want to sit in a little corner in quiet, with maybe with their ear in or something as they read a book or as they consume content that way. So making sure that your environment is set up in a way that differentiates for your students so they actually have a bit of choice possibly or there's different locations where they can go for different types of learning. Also think about the expectations that are set up in your classroom, because the environment is not just the physical thing, it's also the ethos of your classroom. So what expectations are set up? Are they meant to be quiet? Are they not meant to be quiet? Are people meant to make mistakes? Do you welcome students who try something and fail and point out how that actually helps them to learn? What are those expectations, and how can you differentiate those according to the particular students in your class? And maybe you have the expectation that students will have choice in what they're doing to showcase their learning, or in how they consume their content, etc. It also includes noise. How much noise is going on in your classroom? Is that positive noise or negative noise? So, you know, noise from students who are having lively conversations about their learning is fantastic, but if you also have students who are trying to do quiet work and there's a whole bunch of just arguing happening in the classroom or students running around and just squealing, then you might need to address that to help create an environment that's enabling better learning. And then of course, thinking about the actual room or location of your learning. So you might need to switch between things like your know, science lab, a cooking lab, to maybe you're in a tests or textiles room where the students are building things outside for physical activity type work in the gymnasium or in your classroom, lots of different environments that you can use for your learning and making sure you actually adjust that according to what the students are learning but also according to where they're at and what they're doing with that learning. So let's quickly run through a few strategies Some some of them are quite easy to use others will take a bit more planning but one of my favorite ones is probably the use of student voice and choice and you can really promote this by creating things like choice boards So things like a tic-tac-toe, a menu board, or a hyperdocs-type document. Essentially, these are very similar, where you have the students pick between two or three different things, So, and they're going to start. So with the menu board, for example, you might have an appetizer. And so three things, they pick one of these three appetizers they're going to start with. And then the main course, pick one or two of the things in the main courses that the students are going to do. Maybe you might give them five or six options. And then there might be a side salad. And have students pick one side salad Uh, and those are different activities that they're going to do with their learning and then dessert you know again have them choosing between things and that enables students to have choice but you've planned it so that they're actually still learning the same content but they're choosing it at their own level for where they're at they're choosing things that might relate to their interests they're choosing things about their own learning preferences in terms of how they consume things how they go about the processes of learning and what they create at the end as well and so it actually takes a lot of the choice a lot of this uh, process out of your hands because you're actually enabling them to choose things which is enabling the differentiation to happen and that helps to make sure that students also don't see that you know maybe they're the dumb one because they're getting more scaffold you've actually provided the choice for everyone that the people who are doing really well aren't going to choose to do something that has a scaffold and not going to choose the stuff that's just identifying them that's easy and you're encouraging them to choose the things that are harder other things are to tier your content and activities from shallow learning through to deep learning and so making sure that you're shifting from students who are learning about single ideas through to combining multiple ideas and the idea between single ideas and deep multi- learning with multiple ideas is actually about cognitive load and if you're new to a, to a subject you actually can't manage more than uh, you know, two to four items at once whereas if you are experienced at it you can do about eight and you can start to really group those things together as well so that you can actually use things like criteria to evaluate things and assess its effectiveness and make judgments about things uh, where you can be critical about things by bringing in other pieces of information to decide whether or not this is actually worth paying attention to that's higher order thinking that's deep learning other ways is that you can gather information on your students interests and then allow students to use this as they learn the new content. Maybe you can highlight the connections even for them. So maybe if you've got students who are really interested in uh, online gaming and you could look at persuasiveness and addiction in relation to that maybe, or you could look at uh, graphic design uh, and how that actually is visually attractive for the students in relation to things or how they are purposely made for a particular audience. Lots of things you could break down about that game to help the student to learn stuff and they're focusing on the game that they already are very interested in you can also make sure that you're planning your groups and not just doing them at random so by planning them that can be by putting the students who already have a lot of pre-knowledge for example uh, in one group and students who are going to need more of your help in another group and so that then helps you to easily spend more time with a group that needs it but other ways that you can mix them up and, and purposely make sure that there are students who are doing really well with lots of prior knowledge and are ready for deep thinking in a group that specifically has people, students who are in between and students who are right at the very early stages. And you can give them particular roles within that group to make sure that you're um, utilizing that peer relationship and that peer teaching to make sure that all students are actually benefiting from that. And even just using the puzzle technique where you know students in one group Will become experts on one thing and then go into another group where everyone in there is from a different group and they're sharing their expertise that they just learnt from their prior group and teaching each other. You also might think about just having some flexible classroom spacing, making sure you have an area for some quiet reading, an area that's for individual work maybe where they're going to be using their computer or something uh, and maybe having earphones there so they can listen to videos and stuff as they're learning. Uh, You might have a group space where people are going to Be having conversations with each other kind of like a cafe type layout and then you might have a more formal space where there's instructions from you and the students uh, getting the content that way Uh, and by having that flexible arrangement you can actually say to the students all right go to the different group places where you think you're going to to be using that process for learning and so they might go and do some research and go to the computer place or they might go and decide that they're going to be in a group and they're going to discuss the idea first before they do their own research and then they might come back to their group etc and then finally think about how you can adjust everything based on learning support information so one thing that we often are given at the very beginning of the year is a whole bunch of information from our learning support teachers about specific students in our class and so we need to make sure we're actually constantly pulling on that information particularly if there's an ilp uh, sorry individual learning plan Uh, It might be called something else where you are. Uh, So yeah, it can be as simple as making sure that you're using colored paper for the student who needs that particular color so they can read it easier. Or maybe having larger text on any handouts that you give. It can be lots of simple things like that that then help your students as you're differentiating for them. So this week, I want you to pick one of those strategies. Make sure you're giving it a go. Maybe choose that uh, student voice. Maybe create a menu board for your students. It's a really easy way to get started. And plan out a whole lesson like that, or maybe even a whole unit like that, or you know, a week's worth of work or something, where you have the student working through that menu board constantly for the week and see how it goes. Get some feedback from your students about what they think they've learned and how they've enjoyed it or not enjoyed it because you've changed things up. Now, of course, don't forget that there is a competition going. Okay, so leave a review of the podcast if you're in Apple. If you're on a system that doesn't allow you to provide a review, provide a review of Teachers PD on Facebook or in Google, take a screenshot of your review and then come and share it, post it on Instagram and tag me at Dan Jackson TPD. that's TPD for Teachers PD, or join the Facebook group, the Effective Teaching Podcast and share it in there. And if you do both, you will double your chances of winning and I will give away $330 worth of online professional development to two teachers who win this competition at the end of August. So you've got all this month to do this, but don't delay. Don't forget about it. Make sure you get it done. And then I'm looking forward to welcoming two more teachers into the Teachers PD membership, which currently is closed. You can't purchase it, uh, but I am giving away these free ones because I want more people to be able to come in and utilize the online learning that I'm providing. Thanks guys. I will chat to you next week.